0: Well, good morning, Maple Grove it's good to be with you again Uh, for those of you that don't know me uh, my name is Dale Dury and I have been coming here to speak for many years now and as was said in the introduction I was uh, until a year and a half ago a full-time professor at Bethel University but a year and a half ago uh, the Lord altered my plans and my direction in life and called me to become bivocational so I still teach at Bethel part-time but I'm also planting a church Uh, We meet for corporate worship, and the name of our church is The Seeds Community, and we meet for corporate worship uh, right now just twice a month, but we meet at a school that we brought a food program to in uh, Minneapolis called Marcy Open School. It's about three blocks straight north of the Stone Arch Bridge, if you kind of can make a mental picture of that. And um, we have been uh, doing public worship a couple times a month since this fall at Marcy Open School. So it's been a fun adventure of getting to know them and investing in them. When God called my wife and I to consider this uh, new adventure in our lives, in uh, our 50s, you might notice, um, it was uh, with a heart and a desire to create a space for emerging young adults to be able to shape and form a church that they would want to be part of. Um, I don't know if you know it or not, but only 4% of people between the ages of 20 and 35 are actively involved in organized Christianity. And in Minnesota, it's only 2%. And in Minneapolis, where we meet, it's only 1%. And of young people that grow up in the church, uh, when they get to that age of right after college, 22 to 35, only 35% of them stay involved in the church uh, going forward in an organized kind of way. And so our heart has been to uh, call together a group of leaders who would, um, I would equip and disciple to become leaders in a church that they would want to invite their friends to. And so we were on a leadership retreat recently, and this is a picture of our crew. My wife is uh, in the middle there in the black, and I'm off to the side, and you might notice that the demographic is a little different than us. And uh, so God has honored our desire uh, with bringing a group of emerging adults together to form and shape a community together. And if I were to describe kind of where we are at in our church planting process, this next picture kind of gives you a picture of what I think God is doing in our community of uniting our hearts, uh, forming leaders who are kind of getting in on the mission together uh, towards a a community that hopefully will be one that they are excited about and will invite their friends to. So to you who have partnered with us uh, financially and in your prayers, uh, thank you. Um, It is a huge gift to have your partnership as part of our community, uh, the Seeds community. Well, about four years ago right now, I was beginning to experience extreme exhaustion. And it didn't really make that much sense as to why I would be experiencing it because I was just in the middle of a normal year. Um, I had been doing what I had been doing in terms of work and life and our kids were kind of in a fairly independent place. They were high school and college age. And so it didn't really quite make sense that I was experiencing this extreme exhaustion. And uh, I, of course, as a typical middle-aged man, just began to ignore it for a while. And uh, I thought, well, it'll go away. It'll get better. I took a, you know, I had spring break and I thought, well, I'll be better after spring break. And so I came back from spring break and I was still exhausted. It was the kind of exhaustion that like everywhere I went, I was looking for a chair to sit down in. And I would be standing in class and I'd look at the floor and think, I could lay down and take a nap like right now on that floor. <laughs> I mean, no problem. I was just exhausted, like bone tired. So I finally uh, did the wise thing, and I went to see my doctor. And uh, he did a bunch of blood tests and those kinds of things and came back and told me that I was extremely low on B12. And he said, I want you to go and see a specialist to kind of take a look at this. And, but in the meantime, I want you to go and get a shot of B12. And so I went and got a shot of B12. And it was like, wow, it was like a whole new day, a new life. And I went to go see this specialist, though. And he did some more testing and whatever and announced that I have pernicious anemia. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's really not that bad. It just means that my body, for some reason, has stopped like absorbing B12 out of my food. And so they tried me on some oral B12 for a while and then eventually I had to settle into getting a shot. And so every three weeks I go in and get a B12 shot and it boosts my, you know, energy and I feel really good after I get it. And I don't know why it was, but in that whole experience, I never really thought about asking God to heal me. Just never really... crossed my mind. I don't know if it was because like, you know, it's kind of inconvenient to have to get a shot every three weeks, but I mean, it's nothing like what my friends who are battling cancer go through when they go through chemo treatments, or it's nothing like my friend who is a diabetic goes through when he has to get, uh, or he has to have uh, insulin, you know, shots on a regular basis and those kinds of things. And so, I don't know, I just never really thought about it. Um, Or it could have been also because subtly in my mind's eye, I have in mind when I I think about healing. Um, some kind of extreme over-the-top examples from friends and family who kind of have that name-it-and-claim-it kind of theology. And like, I don't really buy that. So like, I don't know. I just never did. When we're sick, should we consider that God might want to heal us directly, physically, maybe even miraculously, When we're sick, should we consider asking someone to pray for healing for us? And if we were to do that, how should it be done? How should that prayer go? And if that prayer went right and we did have it, could we hope and possibly experience physical healing? Well today we're going to continue in a message series that Craig entitled A God Who Heals and uh, Craig has addressed in the past couple of weeks a God who heals our relationships, a God who heals our pasts, next week he's going to talk about God who heals our souls and conveniently for him today he asked me to come and address the topic of how God miraculously heals our bodies. I don't know about you but I think that's maybe a little bit beyond coincidence don't you think that he doesn't want to talk about that one. No, it just happened to be the the way it worked out in the schedule. So here I am to talk about this topic. And that's fine because I do sincerely believe that God is a God who still heals today. And we're going to take a look at a passage in Scripture that really directly teaches about healing and about how it is that God wants to go about healing. And so as we come to this passage, we come to a letter that was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, And during Jesus' lifetime, uh, his half-brothers, James and Jude, who also wrote a book in the Bible, uh, were not followers of Jesus. So when Jesus was here, James and and Jude, his brothers, his half-brothers, were actually opposing his ministry. Unlike his mother and his sisters who followed him and supported Jesus' ministry, if you go and you read the Gospels, you'll find that when you are introduced to James and Jude, they are actively opposing Jesus. Yet after... Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. He appears to his brothers, and they come to believe. They bet their life on Jesus as a forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. And so it was that James, the half-brother of Jesus, came to be a significant leader in the early church in Jerusalem. It's just an ironic thing because James was from, like, Hicksville, Like, he was from Galilee in Nazareth, and he was this small-town fisherman, mason person, whatever. And he ends up in the big urban city as a a spiritual leader and even as a pastor in the church in Jerusalem. Well, soon after he was leading and giving uh, leadership in Jerusalem, a persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and so some of the people scattered. James stayed uh, in Jerusalem with the underground church, But James's heart as a pastor is one of concern for the Christians who had been spread out because of persecution, and so he decides to write them a letter to give them instruction and encouragement. And in the end of this letter, he gives some instructions about healing. And in this section that we're going to look at, he answers questions like, when we are sick, should we ask for people to pray for healing for us? And if we do ask, how should those people pray? And if they do pray in this way, could it be that God could heal us? And so today we're going to hear from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And I want to invite you to stand for the public reading of our scriptures. Will you stand with me? James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer, offered in faith, will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human just as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain should fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky poured down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. You may be seated. In this passage, James commands us that when we are sick, we should ask for prayer. We should ask that prayers rise to God. Prayers from other people on our behalf. But he qualifies this prayer, it should be the right kind of prayer, he suggests. Prayer made by the right kind of people. And the first kind of prayer offered by the right kind of person that should rise to God on our behalf when we are sick is the prayer of an elder who prays in faith. James says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. James says the best thing to do when you are really sick and in this case so sick that you can't even like go to anybody is to call for them to come to you. This is a person who is really sick. And the person that you should consider having come, he says, are the elders of the church. But we have to kind of understand that context. And we, we have more of an organized, you know, we vote people in as elders, that kind of thing. But in the early context, they met in homes. Churches were usually 20 to 50 in size. But in that intimate setting, it became pretty obvious, even though it was a smaller group, of who were the spiritually mature And these were the people that you were to invite and ask. They were elders in the community offering spiritual leadership. And James says, when you're really sick, you should call for them to come and pray over you. And he does say pray over you, which is an interesting phrase in the original language. It probably has in mind literally like putting your hand on that person and then offering prayers that kind of pour over onto that person. But then he adds this little extra thing Don't just pray for them, but anoint them with oil. Now, the reason for this probably was not medicinal. It wasn't like the oil itself was medicine that was going to heal the person. But instead, throughout Scripture, oil in anointing is used to kind of set a person aside for the special work of God in their life. Kings were anointed. Prophets were anointed. People who were sick were anointed. as, As a sign that we were praying over that person and expect God to do something special. And so he says, pray over them, anoint them with oil, the right kind of way to pray, the right kind of person. But he also says, in the name of the Lord. And it's really important to recognize that this is not saying the name of Jesus as kind of like a magic Harry Potter wand, that you just kind of wave and therefore these magical things happen. But throughout Scripture, the name of the Lord or a name represents a person's character or represents a person's essence. And what is the essence of God? What is the character of God? We are supposed to pray consistent with the character of God. And it is the character of our King and of our Lord and the ruler of the universe that people would be healed. That's part of the character of God. In the beginning, God created all things and it was good. And then sin entered the world through our rebellion and disease and sickness and death. Yet it was God's desire that people would be healed. And part of the evidence of that is that Jesus, the image of the invisible God, came to earth. And one of the main things he did was he healed people physically, miraculously. It's the heart of our God that we would be healed. In fact, there will be a day in the end when Jesus comes back and the kingdom comes in full here on earth and there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. All these things will have been done away with. This is the heart of our God. And so James says, when you are sick, call for someone to come and pray for you. Pick a person who's spiritually mature, someone that you respect, maybe a person who's recognized by the entire community. Have them pray over you, anoint you with oil, and pray in the name of God of the Lord an elders prayer but then he adds this extra little thing it's not just an elders prayer in this way but an elders prayer in faith such a prayer prayer offered in faith will heal the sick now when you hear that in faith I don't know what you hear but I quickly hear uh, people who will claim that God is going to heal kind of the name-it-and-claim-it kind of theology, that if you have just enough faith, God is going to heal you. If the person praying over you has enough faith, you will be healed. A number of years ago, my mom's best friend, Rachel, was diagnosed with cancer. And my mom, who's a nurse and has even done hospice nursing, uh, wanted to really walk with her and care for her and be her friend, her best friend, And Rachel was from a little bit of a different faith background than my parents are, Christian but different in that she was part of a church that said that if you have enough faith, God has to heal you. And Rachel claimed that. She said, I'm going to be healed. And my mom kind of pushed back at times gently around that and just said, I think we also need to pray your will be done. But Rachel said, I'm going to have a testimony to tell other people. But My mom would say, you will have a testimony to tell other people whether you are healed or aren't healed through this process but as Rachel began to decline and as more of her church people came around more and more uh, they became hostile towards my mom in fact they came to a point where they kind of told my mom we don't want you to come around anymore because we can't have anybody around who doesn't believe that there's going to be a healing that happens here and so my mom was cut off from walking with her best friend in her final days because Rachel did die from her cancer Is that the kind of faith that the person who's praying must have? A complete, absolute assurance that God is going to heal? Is that what James intends us to take away from this word faith? Well, throughout Scripture, faith is a word for trust. Complete trust. In fact, James has already talked about it a couple of times in the context of prayer. He's already addressed prayer twice in this letter. He opens very early with calling on God for prayer when we need wisdom. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, he says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask, be sure that your what? Faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with a divided loyalty. Oh, I, I will trust God if God heals, but I'm not sure I'm going to trust God if God doesn't heal. A divided loyalty. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is, an unset- is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Faith is putting our complete trust in God. And James says the person who prays for the other with complete trust, I'm entrusting you to God, is the kind of prayer and the kind of person that God could use to heal. James talks about this in another context in James chapter 4. He says, even when you ask, he's talking about prayer, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Faith is is a complete trust in God no matter the outcome. Jesus, of course, modeled this for us. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that that cup of that destination and that pathway is heavy and hard, and he really does not humanly want to do it. And there he is praying, and he's crying out to God, and in the end he says, Not my will, but your will be done. What kind of faith, (laughs) what kind of person who prays with faith could be used by God to heal another person? The kind of person who trusts God completely, no matter the outcome. When we are sick, James says we should ask for the right people to pray the right kind of prayer over us, for prayers to rise up to God. But James envisions not only elders who have kind of this spiritual authority in the community praying for us when we are sick, but he also says there's another right kind of person who can pray the right kind of prayer over us too. For he goes on to talk about a righteous person and how they pray earnestly. After telling the community to pray for one another, he says these words, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he uses this wonderful example of Elijah who is, and I love this phrase in the the original language, it says, was was a person just like us. (laughs) I love that phrase. Elijah was just like us. He's not some superhero. And yet when he prayed, it didn't rain for two and a half years as a form of getting the attention of the king who was leading the people into worshiping false gods. And then when he prayed again, the sky poured down rain and the earth yielded its crop. A righteous person, James says. A righteous person who prays earnestly. What's a, what's a righteous person? If you are my age, you may remember a movie um, in which uh, there was a character named Ferris Bueller. He was a very righteous dude. Yeah, well that is probably not exactly what James had in mind here. A righteous person is a person that you know, who you know is right with God. They're the kind of person that confesses their sins to God and to other people and walks humbly with God. They're a person that's right with God, but they're also a person that's right with other people. I mean, they're reconciled to other people. They deal with, you know, uh, conflict with other people. And they seek to be reconciled and right with other people. But a righteous person throughout Scripture is also a person who is known outside of the Christian community and has a positive reputation. If you have friends like that, James says, ask them to come and pray for you. A righteous person. And then pick a person who also is an earnest prayer. Do you have any earnest prayers in your life? These are the people that like, I mean, they pray with passion. And they pray consistently. I mean, they, they pray for people habitually. <laughs> Do you have any people in your life like that? James says, hey, when you're sick, don't go it alone. Ask for help. Ask for somebody who is a recognized authority in a sense, an elder in the community to Come. Or ask a person, a friend of yours, that you respect. You know they're right with God and right with other people and they have a good reputation and ask them to begin to pray passionately for you, earnestly for you. When we're sick and the right kind of person prays the right kind of prayers, well, James goes on to say that when that happens, when the right prayers rise, catch this. Healing rains come down. This is the picture of Elijah, right? The prayer rises up, and then at the right time, the rains come down. And James addresses in this passage two types of healing that can happen. When we pray the right kind of prayers for each other as the right kind of people, there are two types of healing that can come. Obviously, the main thing in this passage is physical healing. He says, such a prayer offered in faith, will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. When the right prayers rise, God can, if it is His will, use that kind of person with those kinds of prayers to rain down physical healing. We have in our community a a young woman who um, played soccer in college and had a couple of concussions and now in the aftermath of college, um, her um, concussions show up in symptoms that when she gets tired or out of the blue, she'll get major migraines and be dehabilitated. And, and this has been progressing and kind of going on. She's been part of our community since last fall. And, and uh, we were together last week and, and I said, Lydia, I said, this seems to be persistent. You've went to doctors and those kinds of things. Could we, Could we come around you? Could we pray for you? Could we anoint you with oil? Could we pray in Jesus' name for you? And she said, yes. So next Sunday, we're going to do kind of what you're doing here this morning. At the end, we're going to have a time and invite people to come forward for prayer for physical healing. Because when the right kind of prayers rise, physical healing can happen. And I thought about telling you a couple stories of this, but I'm just going to ask you to take my word for it. I have heard of and been part of and know of people who have physically been healed. And if you don't know anything much about like the spiritual stream you swim in of the covenant, we believe strongly in this. We value this. We believe we should ask. But we should ask in faith, with complete trust, that God's will is going to be what is best and God can have a testimony through our prayers no matter what comes from it. But as I end, I want to point out one other thing. It's fascinating to me that James also connects not only that there will be healing physically, but he also talks about the healing of forgiveness. Because he instructs us to pray and to ask for prayer, and so when a person comes and prays for you and they pray the right kind of prayer for you, and you're so sick you can't even go anywhere, he says, if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And then he says, kind of generically, to everybody, he shifts tenses and he makes a command now, and he says to everybody, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James connects forgiveness and physical healing, which seems like kind of two different ideas to me. I'm like, why is he connecting those two things? And, And I think it's because James knows his brother's stories really well. In fact, in one of these stories, uh, he uses the exact kind of language of what Jesus does of healing a crippled person because it says literally when the person, the elder, prays over you and you are healed, the Lord will make you well, it literally says. Or it says, that's what it says in the NLT. It literally says the Lord will raise you up, sorry. And he has in mind this picture in this story of Jesus. And we're not going to go there and read the entire story, but the story is basically this. Uh, Jesus is in a really crowded room, and some friends want to bring a crippled person to Jesus to be healed. Can't get in, so they dig open a, a tile off the roof. I think maybe Craig talked about this recently. And lower this person to Jesus. And Jesus is amazed by the faith of the friends, and he looks at this man, and he says, "'Your sins are forgiven.'" Well, I wouldn't have been what I would have been expecting Jesus to say if I was a crippled person that came to the front of Jesus. I would have said, I want to hear you are healed. I want to hear rise up and go walk. Well, the religious authorities are there and they're like, who's he to be forgiving sins? And Jesus says, "What's what's more powerful for me to say I have authority to heal sins or to say to this man, take up your mat and go home? And so he says that to the man and he rises up. And he takes his mat and he goes home. And here in this story, like, forgiveness and healing are connected. And I don't know how that works. But for some reason, Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins before he heals the man. As if kind of forgiveness and confessing our sin kind of opens the door and opens the pathway for God to be able to step in and and heal. And James sees this connection. He sees that it takes kind of forgiveness of sin to have physical healing. They're connected somehow. And so forgiveness of sin, confessing our sin to God, but then he also says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Forgiveness of sin. I can't explain exactly how But that and healing of sickness are interconnected. So when we are sick, should we consider that God might want to directly heal us? The emphatic answer, James says, is yes. Should we consider asking for someone to come and physically like, lay hands on us, anoint us with oil, and pray over us when we are sick? Yes, James says. If the right person raises up prayer, healing rain can fall. Rains that offer to us the healing from sickness, but also rains that offer to us the healing from sin through forgiveness. But for that to happen, healing rains to fall, for that to happen, the right kind of prayers have to rise up. And the right kind of prayers are for us to pray prayers of confession for our sin, knowing that somehow forgiveness of sin and healing of sickness are connected. But the right kind of prayers are also to have people come and pray over us or to come forward (laughs) as is going to be an opportunity for you at the end of this service. If you are sick, come. If it's physical, if it's emotional, if it's spiritual, come. And allow people to pray over you. Because our God's character, our God's heart, is a God who desires to heal. So will you come Because if the right prayers are prayed over you by the right people in the right way, God could heal you. The rain of heaven could come down and the healing rains could hit your life. Let's pray together. God, we live in a fallen and broken world and there are so many things that impact us. So many ways in which sin wounds and heals and the enemy is able to seek us out and to kill and to destroy. And yet, Jesus, you came and you won victory over sin and death. Through the cross and the resurrection, there is a new power that is available and is at work in our world called the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God is available and it can come in our midst. And we invite you to come And we invite you to come with healing. And for each person that comes later, I just pray that if it be your will, you would touch and you would heal. And that there would be testimony given of how it is that you have healed or how it is that you have empowered that person to follow you and trust in faith, even in their suffering. And so we ask that in Jesus' name.